Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Hello once again, welcome to the Enterprise Digital Podcast podcast. We are well now into series two and we have an exciting guest today. I'm still Barclay Ray and I'm joined once more into the breach by uh, Ian Aitchison. Ian, how are you today? Oh, greetings. Tired today. Tired. Woke up too Uh, early, consequently drunk too many cups of coffee. So I warn you now, (laughs) you may have to throw yourself in front of me to stop me talking. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll bear that in mind. I've just thrown myself in front of my dog. I was out running this morning and I, and I fell over. So I'm doing that as a thing today, throwing myself around, mashing myself up. What, uh, what's the, the trivia of the day? Do we have a piece of trivia or, or we have we already? Oh, I've got yeah. a doozy for today. I've got yeah. a really good one. Just, you know, before we introduce our guest, we like to start with a bit of idle nonsense. This one, I don't know, this, this, interested me maybe this is more interesting than the nonsense but i discovered this week about thomas midgley jr barclay have you heard of thomas midgley jr well i have now but i'm frantically googling him Damn. he's been referred to as a one-man environmental disaster now we're all very aware of the climate situation and uh, the um uh, looking after our environment and, and improving situations did you know thomas midgley jr was an american mechanical and chemical engineer who developed leaded petrol, gasoline, and the first of the CSCs, chlorofluorocarbons, Freon. He was, basically, he was the inventor of the chemicals that have caused the most impact on human health and our environment, Thomas Midgley Jr. The reason I call him out, apart from sighing and tutting, I, unfortunately, he is no longer with us. But the thing that really caught my interest was how he left us. Uh, maybe fortunately, he's no longer with us. I don't know. But... In 1940, at the age of 51, Thomas Meadley Jr. had devised an elaborate system of ropes and pulleys to lift himself out of bed. And in 1944, he became entangled in the device and died of strangulation. True story. Is, is that what they call karma? Is it? That is what they call karma. Make of that what you will. He, he ruined the world. So <laughs> the world took it away. I mean, you know. It's unfortunate if anybody passes away, but sometimes it's nice to chuckle at unusual situations. What an unusual situation for a one-man environmental disaster. You you have children and and will have watched TV in the last 15, 20 years. You must have seen horrible histories, have you? Yes. yes. And they they have a feature called Stupid Death. You must have seen that. So maybe he's on that one, indeed. I'm sure he did very well out of inventing those things, and at the time it was not seen as a, a negative best interests at heart it's only negative one, invention uh, hindsight we understand yeah. the situation we say the same about ITIL really don't we I mean you know, <laughs> it, it, we created something for good or for bad how it will end up taking us at the end I don't know anyway let's move on swiftly to somebody who very much is is at the uh, the leading edge in our industry and and what we used to say maybe not so much now because we don't go to so many conferences but if there was a conference on somewhere in the world, this guy was at it <laughs> for a while. We've got Suresh GP on. Hey, hey, Suresh, how are you doing? Thanks, Barclay. Thanks, Ian. How are you guys doing? It's been a pleasure to be a part of your episode. Well, the pleasure is all ours. You do lots of 
different things, and and you know we've had lots of conversations over the years. I know what we'll, we're going to talk about one particular aspect today, but I mean, how where did you get to? Because you you run a you run a business, training consulting business, and so on. How did you get there? Tell us, give us a quick sketch of your your journey to to here today. Yeah, so I've been a service management professional since the ITIL version two days of two thousand five six when I was part of HP. Went about doing service management uh, for 15 years and uh, started this company called Top Solutions uh, as a consulting, training, and simulation company in 2014. And it's about eight years now that we have been doing. So we focus on IT management best practices. So initially, we started with uh, service management and the world has just exploded. So that's where we are in. The world has just exploded. Nothing to do with Thomas Midgley, but... That's true. I do remember when you actually started out. I remember talking to you at the time. So eight years. Congratulations on on that. And you operate. I mean, you're based out of India, is that right? And you operate in that kind of territory mostly. But we we see you at all sorts of events. I've seen you in Norway. I've seen you in the US, and and so on. Yeah. So we we have our presence in India, Singapore, and the US. And I think one of the things we, we all uh, agree is the mindshare that we get in attending conferences, mm. uh, be it the SITs and all of those conferences. So I think I'm missing that badly. It would have been great to have this episode in the UK one time. Well, indeed. And we, we just recently had the first SITs and we recorded quite a lot of videos and co- conversations there. But it was just great to be to be back talking to people. Okay, so great that you're here and look forward to the conversation and uh, welcome to the podcast. Okay, so let's get into the conversation. I mean, Suresh, you, you said you've been around, you've been doing things like ITIL for, for a long time. I know from a lot of the stuff that you put out and I've seen you speak on various things, but I think today we're going to talk a little bit about this whole one specific newer area, if you like, and how we can maybe get into how it fits with the wider service management world or universe or whatever we're going to call it. And that's site reliability engineering. And I know that you do quite a lot on that. What is that? Let, let, let's just start from basics. If somebody's listening to this going, oh, I have no idea what that is. SRE, what, what is it and why is it, a, why is it a good thing? Right. So site reliability engineering as a concept emerged with Google in 2003. As you know, Google had a real fundamental problem of scalability, right? So we talk a lot about making sure our systems are reliable and stable and scalable. So it's very important for an organization's to um, keep the systems up and running, but also prevent uh, performance degradation. So the whole site reliability engineering was coined by Google in 2003. But what's happening is over the last few years, as we have evolved from Agile to DevOps in 2008-9 with all cloud, the reliability of the systems are becoming important. So site reliability engineering focuses on two key areas. One is reliability, and the second one is resilience. So when I say reliability, how can you prevent a failure from happening or an incident from happening? So in our erstwhile world, we used to look at our MTTD, mean time to detect and have our event monitoring and correlation engines to do that. But I think we are stepping up into a new world where from reactive service management, which was incident, to proactive, which was event monitoring and correlation, to predictive service management. I think the whole ability to preempt an incident before it happens and then fixing it that's the sweet spot. 
So site-reliable engineering is focusing on building uh, a sophisticated system where we don't work for the systems and the system works for us. So it's a very interesting part of a conversations where can we even revolutionize the existing production support model of L1, L2, L3, where we don't need to have service desk be the first point of contact to solve incidents. Can we do options like self-healing and auto-remediation where I don't need to have someone physically looking at a ticket and solving it? So that's the world of how SRE is kind of evolving. It's more interesting as people start to grapple up with this new um, way of doing things. I think that's, um, from my perspective, Suresh, that's particularly interesting in a couple of ways. I mean, obviously, my background from a, a vendor, a cloud vendor, SRE, is an essential part of, of what any modern cloud vendor does. You know, it's about keeping those services that employees in a business need to use to do their job. It's about keeping them consistently, reliably up and running. But I think there's also a really interesting angle that you talked about around self-healing um, and the transition from the traditional service management model of, well, if you tell us it's broken, we'll fix it. But you have to know that it's broken to tell us that it's broken, which is a crazy situation to the, well, let's detect it's broken and fix it before anybody knows, or even let's do some, some things that will stop it breaking in the future. Uh, so love all of that. And I see, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I see the whole service management, service desk model moving more and more to that relationship with detection and correction before somebody says, this is impacting me. Exactly. And what is going to happen, Ian, is that today we're not going to have these uh, silo teams. We are kind of building squads and pods. So it doesn't matter whether you are going to be a service desk, a separate person, it's going to be a combination of a cross-functional team put together. So it's going to be very, very important for people to find out, okay, I'm not going to wait until something hits my, my radar. Can I be more focused on the shift left, which is our mm -hmm. primary principle of getting in on, but more importantly, reducing toil. One of the key aspects that we keep on talking about is anything which is manual, repeatable, automatable, tactical, or devoid of enduring value is called toil. So think about the number of approvals we have for a change management process or for the cycle that we have. Too much bureaucracy and uh, elements of still a lot of manual work. So how do we bring in element of reducing toil and freeing up some time? You and I know with infrastructure operations, we spend a lot of time where we don't have time to think so even your continual service improvement is out of question because I'm on fire. So ability to free up some of the time of the service desk guys and the specialists is going to be important so that we can focus on the most important part rather than just keeping the lights on. I think it's really interesting because I suppose it's always been the the goal really is 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 to move away from having, you know, structures to to manage manage issues, you know, and and that expects failure in some way and and you know yeah we get, we get really good at it you know we get great at fixing things and being able to do it to that you know much more holistic self-healing kind of kind of world i think that the challenge is the transition how we move from one to the other because and it's not to me it's not just about well we've got all these people doing service desk and service management in the traditional way that that is one challenge but it shouldn't be the main one I think the other one is that it's not easy to go from 
one environment to the other. And just to put a practical question in there is, is that the majority of organizations, certainly that I still see have, that have got SRE in there somewhere, it tends to be quite in pockets or little areas, rather than it being right, we're rebuilding the whole thing. There are, there are organizations, of course, that do that and have done that, but the majority, I think, of the existing enterprises are still going, right, well, how do we go from where we are now to where we want to be in future? And I'd be really interested in what your thoughts are of, of what advice you would give for organizations to do that. That's a very valid question, Barclay. I mean, let's be honest, we have legacy infrastructure, monolithic applications, commercial off-the-shelf products. <laughs> At the one end, you're talking about cloud-native applications. We are having a broader spectrum of um, aspects to deal with. So one of the things that I think we, we all will agree is about making that cultural shift, right? You have to ask the why rather than the how. I think we, we have been so much boiled around what new shiny toy, like what Paul Wilkinson says, new shiny toy brought to the table. I think we need to take a step back and say, why are we doing some things like this? And asking that element of challenging the status quo is the first important part. And I think there's a lot of smarter ways to do things. So can we do our things better so that we can free up some time? I can still take my vacations, like what Ian was talking on the other side. It doesn't matter which part of the region that you are, and can still look at continuous learning. I think the part of the most important part is if the organization is willing to make that cultural shift, um, that what has taken us so far will never take us beyond. So how are we going to challenge our own status quo? and see there is a better way to do things. So if we are having that openness, that's a good starting point in my opinion. To add to that, the training and various body of knowledge and so forth around this is of course very much for the people in that role. It's a new role, what would they do? Or a newish role, what would they do? What else do we need to do in terms of awareness to the wider organization about how, why that's a good thing and how, you know, how it needs that cultural change? So one of the things that we can do is start from where you are. I love the guiding principle of uh, starting from where you are. So whether you're looking at service management or you're looking at DevOps or Agile, how can we bring in that element of value streams and value change is a great starting point because I would say, instead of looking at incident management as a practice, can I look at detect to correct? So which means anything from the event management to incident problem change, how can you bring in that storyline? And that's a very important part of a conversation to see where you are currently working and what areas can we try to extrapolate because <clears throat> something has worked for you so far. Can you take it, lean into that? And I think there's a gradual extension in my opinion from service management to cycle app engineering. So we are trying to uh, amplify something which we call as customer experience. So the why for SRE is to focus on the customer experience part. So it's not a customer satisfaction, which is more of a transaction, but it's over the period of time, right? So when we talk about customer experience, then I think we need to go to measure your customer journey map. So if we start with that conversations, then we know that we aren't adequately equipping ourselves to the entire chain. So we have to uh, find out um, Opportunities, what we call as observability, which is going beyond monitoring, because monitoring will give you some kind of symptoms. But I think there is a concept of observability, which is more like a 360 degree view of identifying blind spots. So a combination of understanding customer experience, looking at value chains and value streams. And the third one is looking at what the industry is doing to help 
has to do better is going to be there. And it's a marathon. As we all say, as a transformation is going to be a marathon. As long as you are patient enough to look at, I'm still waiting for the end outcome to come and I'm patient. You will reach that eventually. So one uh, R for reliability is a part of the experience that an individual has. Obviously, it's a very important part of it because if it's unreliable, all the other parts are probably impacted from that. Um, so it's important if we're talking about experience that we mustn't ignore that the, where it comes back to perhaps is the very, very basic original of uptime, right? It's got to be up. It's got to be running. But what you're talking about is uh, you used one word earlier. So I want to come back to you. You talked about learning. And I've certainly seen, uh, and I think this applies whether you have SRE in place or not, but the concept of every incident that comes in is an opportunity to learn and then feed that learning into automation changes that will stop that incident happening again. And those automation changes are the sort of activities that SRE is involved in. It's, is, is that right? You kind of learn from things that go wrong, never have that incident again? I'll just rephrase that as part of experimentation and learning. So one of the problems that we don't do it, um, it generally is we fear failure. If something backfires, what happens? So we have a concept in Cytolab engineering called error budgets. So we give them a provision to experiment in your own ways of working. So for example, we have a service level agreement of 95%. We define a little more higher target, which we call a service level objectives at 96%. So the 100 minus 96%, that 4% is your available error budget to experiment. So I'm giving you a legal permission to do experimentation. So even if you fail, I don't make this um, a huge hue and cry because you're still going and above your contractual obligations. So I think the part of the things is two parts, right? Do you give an environment of psychological safety? And do you have a provision for us to give an opportunity for people to experiment. And that will change the ability of looking at as a learning experience. Otherwise, it's going to be very tough. So that's supporting failure in the safe zone. So, I mean, a lot of those those ideas are, are things that I guess we learned quite early on in DevOps and Agile, you know, continuous learning, experimentation, you know, the three ways and so on, the second way, flow and feedback oh. and all that sort of stuff. Is SRE really then just a kind of, good practical application of DevOps that fits very well with the kind of service and operational environment. Right. So if you look at it, the general difference between um, DevOps and SRE, DevOps focuses on the velocity and stability being maintained, right? At one end, we are releasing features, but also making sure the system is stable. Whereas SRE is a class that implements DevOps in post-production. So think about reliability and resilience. So once things are deployed into production, then the magic happens, right? How am I going to ensure that seamless experience? So to your point, Ian, that we talked about, it's not just about uptime anymore. It's about what we call as graceful degradation. So are we giving that level of performance that is seamless when I look at my devices, a table, desktop, and tablets, am I getting the same experience? So it's, it's, it's a matter of giving an opportunity to find how these things fit in. So SRE extends DevOps, so we are not trying to go all of a sudden from there. So it extends DevOps and tries to implement mostly in post-production. And that's what um, Google says, SRE is a class that implements DevOps. 
So it is complementing each other and makes it uh, much more robust because today people have this attention deficit syndrome. I was actually talking to one of the Netflix guys and I asked him, what is your performance metric? And he said, boot up time. Because if I don't boot up immediately, I'm going to get switched on to Amazon Prime on Hotstar or something else. So my core business KPI is going to be boot up time. So this is just talking about why SID is getting a lot more popular because it's touch not about reliability. And if something breaks, how quickly can you restore and make it a, a, a eventful experience? And, and things are so fast now, aren't they? You, you remember, you know, go back 10 years, 15 years. I, I'm not sure I can go back further than that. But we would wait for a long time for things, pages to load, applications to start. That was normal. I remember someone in an old organization that would come in, turn their desktop computer on, and then go off and make a cup of coffee. Right. And then they'd come back and they'd start work because you needed that. But now our expectation is completely different. More than a second, more than two seconds, I'm bored. I'm moving on. So that that's so, again. So we call it yeah. So we call this as slowness is the new low. <laughs> Very good. Right. See, because people are absolutely paranoid if it goes to a few milliseconds. I mean, latency and other stuff becomes even more important. So uh, I think it's getting popular. Uh, and uh, there's also a practical thing to your point, Barclay, that it's got a lot of. Um, actual useful stuff that we can start implementing from where you are. And organizations are gaining benefits. It's not the Google of the world that I think SRE is required. So with large financial institutions, retail companies, everybody is seeing the value of site to engineering, making the customer experience better. Okay, just taking the my previous question a little bit further, I mean, what's the, what's the practical way in if you have a service desk? And let's just talk about retained IT for a minute because I would like to go on to managed services because that's a different challenge as well but in a retained IT organization that has a service desk and a you know fairly traditional tiered structure of support etc what's the way in to bring in SRE is, is it one or two people that are that have given that role in a kind of swarming or Correct. focused second or dedicated what's the what's the path then to go from where we are now to where we might be in future the multiple models that could be applicable in the case of moving from traditional uh, tier support to SRE model. The first one is what I call as a horizontal um, service, right? It's a shared service where you have SRE as a function. So wherever you require some inputs about some design factors and reliability uh, principles, you can get some insights from them, how to reduce toil. So that's one as a shared function. The second one is an embedded model where I can have an SRE embedded to every team within that particular scope so that they can help them right from the design, build, test, deploy. And then we can use a slice and dice model, right? So you have an infrastructure team, you have an application development team. Uh, they can kind of uh, split their work between themselves to see how we can make progress. But I like the way that you talked about swarming. Swarming is a great starting point, right? So if you look at swarming from a major incident resolution perspective, I don't need to still wait on for someone to come. It could be a cross-functional team. And frankly, SRE skills are very much hot in demand. So you'll not have one person who has got the complete end-to-end understanding or a systemic thinking. So you would want to bring the best of experts or the best of the breeds from development, infrastructure, middleware, and all of those people work together and say, you know what? Can we try to prevent an incident from happening again? 
So it's not a question of just solving the incidents and part, but our paradigm is, do we need to still work around, to live with workarounds? Can we prevent some of those incidents from happening? So one of our clients that we are working, 25% of the service desk tickets have been replaced with chatbots now. So I don't want to get my L1 team to get inundated with so many parts. So I want to kind of reduce the number of incidents that hits my service desk, and that's my KRA. So how am I going to get my team motivated to do more things and have the cross-functional skills developed between these two teams? And then probably it's a much more better game. So they gain a lot more insights, which they never had before because they were just focusing on one side of the spectrum. Okay. I mean, when you say about swarming, I mean, the major incident management is, whatever we say, it is super swarming. You know, you go from a tiered model, suddenly the point is, when do we go? To, when do we move from one to the other? Moving on to managed services market, because essentially still SRE is a is, is, is like an internal measure, isn't it? It's something that we are doing. How do we sell this externally? I mean, and, and again, you've got, just as an example, I was looking at a, a managed services tender yesterday, and it was like it was written in 1995, you know, and it was just still wasn't it? But it was written by an IT department looking for help from an external company. And that IT department had really a very little sense of what's out there, what's possible. From a managed services perspective, should should those guys be really getting on the bandwagon and going, right, well, we are offering much more? And how, and how do they sell and present that? No, I think that's a very valid question. We have actually, in the last three years, we have worked with lots and lots of managed service providers. I'll tell you, everybody wants SRE onto their kitty because they are using this as a value proposition to renew their contracts because contracts are getting even more competitive. So price is no longer an arbitration. Now, what additional value that you're going to do it? So which means the managed services provi- managed service providers will have to fund it for the initial part to showcase value in terms of toil reduction, in terms of better customer experience. They also are looking at anti-fragility testing, like chaos engineering, which is a very bigger part of planning and, and preventing any unplanned outages, you know, the ability to bounce back. So I think this is getting even more important these days for managers, providers, for having a meaningful conversations with their end clients. And the part of the problem is going to be, are you going to be able to enable your business partners and clients on the value of SRE. Now, they're going to say that I don't care a damn about what you call, as long as you are delivering me value. So Mm -hmm. the managed service providers have got a complete mandate from their leadership team. Let's be on top of this journey. Let's showcase wins. So I'm helping a few people where they say, okay, we know that this is only for our internal purpose, but let's get a pilot in. Let's see the results showcase, and then let's replicate it to it. So they also are very keen to enable themselves, their teams, because the, the most times the clients are going to ask this question, they don't want to look up here and there and say, well, that's what Google says, because they say, hey, are you not doing it? So I think it's going to be very important as I see this in the next three, five years, all managed service providers should be having a practical implementation knowledge of how SREs can help. And so that the customer knows that they are not taken for a ride. Just finally, how would you characterize two or three, four of the kind of key activities just, just to sort of round this off and give people a, a yeah. sense of, of what, what they are doing. I mean, you talked about some of the right. outputs, so, but, you know, what's different? So first, yeah, so the first one I would say is 
move from SLAs to SLOs or XLA, right? So I generally believe that you have to move from service level agreements like the watermelon we all talk about to a kiwi, which is both green inside and outside. So it's focusing on service level objectives on the customer journey. That is number one. Number two is reducing all this toil element. And the toil is not just about manual work. Even your technical debt that happens with your developer, that has to be offset because then you can release more features. You can much more streamline the process. So reducing toil is the second element. And the third part that I think is very important is if you want to test your systems to be reliable, how much of a kiosk engineering are you doing? Are you doing anti-fragility testing? You you don't need to do it in production environment. You can do it in pre-production environment so that you know what are the blind spots that happens if something goes wrong. And the last but but not the least is after doing all of those stuff, how can you ensure that we are representing as one single team? It doesn't matter about dev, ops, IT service management, other stuff. Are we all having a shared sense of ownership? end-to-end to the value chain, which is where everybody is struggling because not everything is owned by you. There's a third party who's getting involved. So the underpinning contracts and oil is that we talk about is no longer going to be relevant because the time in which you're operating will have to start thinking differently. So how do you bring this whole ecosystem to start focusing on that business value, customer experience, and build a sense of shared ownership yeah. across the end-to-end pipeline. And that's the biggest part of the aha moment that you will achieve when you get to the journey of making this possible. And it's not easy, <laughs> but it will eventually get there. For those considering making that that movement, that, that transition to embracing SRE at a more detailed level, what, what would you say are the sort of technologies that need to be used? And yes. the people skills, what makes the right people that are good in the SRE space? What do you look for for the technology? What do you look for for the people? Well, that's a great question. And I think everybody's struggling to find out that sweet spot of what would make a ACE SRE. So the first thing first is obviously you need to know something about everything, right? So we have moved away from the I-shaped to T-shaped to pie-shaped and comb-shaped. So you need to know about service management. You need to know about Agile, DevOps, Lean, and then SRE, right? So basic fundamental knowledge is very important. Uh, From a technology standpoint, I think very important is uh, towards moving towards containers. A lot of things have moved away from monolithic application to containers. So looking at tools like Docker, Kubernetes, infrastructure as a code using Terraforms. The other aspect that I'm uh, very importantly focuses on monitoring bit. So the app dynamics and Dynatrace of the world that we talk about, that is going to be very important because we have to make sure that we are not only doing infra monitoring and app monitoring, we have to make sure that we are able to get the intelligence from the customer experience part of it. So that's all being part of the conversations, both technology front as well as the um, aspect, but also very importantly, learning and sharing. <laughs> A lot of times I think we, we have to ban superheroes and heroines because I think we have gone away from that world that everybody as a squad or a part should be capable enough to deliver that outcomes. So I think that's very important to be a team player, collaborative and learning and sharing. Just one one other thing there then. So SRE, the way it's come into service management is that, you know, where does this fit with the service and support models that we have? But SRE would be part of project and it would be part of transition and then it's part of operation as well. So it has a kind of role to play going across all these areas, yeah? 
Yeah, so it is definitely important for us to understand what are we trying to achieve and what are the current gaps that you have. So, for example, if you're doing transition, what are we trying to achieve as part of transition? What is the gap that we have? And then figure it out what the SRE is going to do. Like SRE could come with a laundry list of items to do. You have to be very careful and very precise on what will deliver the most value if I deploy an SRE there. Just remember, SREs are costly resources. So you have to make sure that you get the, the value for the buck that you pay and ensure that we are focused on clear deliverables and aspects. And sometimes you don't need, need SRE, Barclay, because I think uh, if you don't even have a basic level of uh, redundancy or fault tolerance in place, I think SRE is not really going to be of enough use. So you need to be very careful about, is your system matured enough to even talk about SRE? <laughs> You do, but in the operational environment, just to clarify, there is a kind of maintenance and you know quality part, but there's also a bit of a support part as well, isn't there? Right, right. When they when they will actually. So one of the things I get thing is that how can I reduce the number of incidents, support it, and instead of just looking at uh, repeated incidents for problem management, can you actually prevent all those incidents from happening again? And that's a very different thought process altogether. (laughs) If we cannot bring that, because that's going to be uh, because the, the level of importance we give for P1 and P2 incident, we don't give it for P3 because it's a single user. But from the individual perspective, it actually impacts customer experience. So My, my, my question just finally on that is so that, that one of the problems we've had with problem management, however we define it and however we use it, is that I, I think it has been misunderstood in terms of where it sits. It's been seen as a process, whereas actually there's a whole number of things that go from relatively low level to quite, strategic in terms of raising business cases and so on. The challenge, I think, for SRE is that where I have seen it implemented, it seems to be quite a technical maintenance and quality role where you probably, you know, it's going to be quite difficult for that person to be the the change agent across the organization. Is that a fair comment? That's why one of the things we do is we, we promote an L3 person to be an SRE. So the person who's actually had the deep level of experience of solving incidents over a period of time has got a bit of understanding of that yeah. gamut, is in a better position to play the role of an SRE. And let's let's be very honest, Barclay, let's not put him into a change agent and other stuff. It's too much of an ask. So let's focus on uh, a definite R&R, just enough for you to build, because I think sometimes people throng on to SRE to be the next magic wand. So I think we need to know they also have some constraints and bottlenecks to play around. So... Uh, a lot of hopes, but then we we make it realistic and then see how it fits into the overall chain. It makes it okay. So really good stuff and advice there, Suresh. Thank you very much. Let's let's just round that off now. So uh, thank you for that for that input. Thanks, Barclay, and thanks, Ian. It's been a great talking yes. to you. Guys. So we've had the conversation. Suresh, thank you very much. You missed the music there. So Suresh, how do people contact you? What, Where do they get hold of you to, to, to find out more? Yeah, I think I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as Suresh GP. I'm available on Twitter and Suresh GP for conversations. And I keep uh, sharing information. So connect me with me on LinkedIn. And if you want to have a conversation, I'd be more than happy. You're definitely out there. People can find you, Suresh GP. Now it's Ian's turn to um, to ask you about a, a more important topic. 
round it up with uh, the traditional thing we always do. Suresh, we ask every guest for their recommended preferred favourite drink to place on the podcast bar. What would be your drink to put on the bar? Well, I'm a big fan of having lemonade. So that's my favourite. And if people have seen me, I'm the only guy who's sober in a conference. So I, I would go with uh, lemonade. Very good. And would that be cloudy lemonade or would that be clear lemonade? Well, that's a difficult technical question to ask, but I'll leave it as clear. I don't want to be cloudy. I want to be transparent. So I want to be clear. And And with ice? Yeah, with ice. With ice. Okay, good, good. Excellent. Thank you. We'll make sure that one is placed in a good position on the bar. I too am a fan of lemonade. And and it's it's a good point is that, yeah, absolutely. Suresh is the the sober one at the conferences. Look forward to seeing you very soon at one of those. Um, The next one that you pop out to have you any plans to do any international conferences in the next period no i think this is a there's a brm connect coming on in san antonio in october four to six that's the plan but uh, i'm looking forward to meeting up in some conferences uh, physically so i'm looking forward well there's another topic in there which is brm and we'll come back to that at some point um for now suresh thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you soon ian thanks again as ever see you next time on the enterprise digital podcast